Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we decrypt weird and wonderful science inveigled directly into your ears. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Thomas Grant talks about platypus preservation. Thomas Grant is a visiting fellow at the University of New South Wales in the Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences. Despite his retirement from academia, Tom's continuing his research into platypuses as he's been doing since the 1970s. For listeners outside Australia, a yabby is a kind of freshwater crayfish. This will become important. I began by asking Tom, how are platypuses doing? Well, in some places they're doing pretty well. The problem being that this is a a species that's totally dependent on water. It's got to feed in water. Uh, They don't feed on land at all. So that if you've got no water, you've got no platypus. And with the drought at the moment, that's extreme and, and severe drought, it's the problems. Because we know from Victoria, there's been quite a lot of field work done by the Australian Platypus Conservancy and Caesar Consulting, who worked for Melbourne Water. And over the, a long period of time, they've been looking at platypus populations in Victoria. And particularly in small streams, where during drought they dry up to refuge pools but eventually these refuge pools go as well and once that happens then the platypus go and reinvasion of these pools once the rivers start to flow takes a long time and they're finding of their work that some of them are getting recolonized from the bigger rivers where the animals have been able to hang on in refuges but other ones smaller streams they're not coming back and so with the outlook now with this severe drought and then the climate change getting more of the same we're concerned about them and back in 2016 the IUCN changed their status from least concern to near threatened. So far there's been no change in either the Commonwealth or state legislations in Australia. They're still considered to be endangered in South Australia, where they used to occur in small numbers historically around Adelaide and the Fluro Peninsula, uh, Adelaide Hills. They're not there now, as far as we know, apart from a, there was a population and a sanctuary there. And there's been a couple of <laughs> reports in the last year about seeing a platypus in a stream near that sanctuary, so they may well have escaped. But certainly, wild populations have gone from the Adelaide Hills. They still occur in the the Glenelg River, which just sort of sweeps into South Australia from Victoria. And they used to come further down the Murray, but we think they were probably ones that have been washed down during floods, etc. There's never been established there was ever a breeding population in that lower Murray. And there's an introduced population on Kangaroo Island, which in fact is the west end of Kangaroo Island, which is doing pretty well. And it was introduced mainly from Victorian animals back in the 1940s, although there was a couple of Taswegians were brought in from Tasmania in the, the late 1920s. 
But as far as we know, there was only two females and one male, or the, the other way around. And the genetics show that they're mainly related to Victoria, to around the hills area, where David Flay, who was the sort of platypus man in the, and bred them for the first time in captivity at Hillsville Sanctuary, he caught them from around there and transported them to Kangaroo Island. So they're considered endangered in South Australia, but in Victoria, Tasmania, New South Wales, Queensland, they're still not listed on threatened species schedule and usually referred to as common. But certainly in Victoria, there are moves to look at whether they maybe should be put on a threatened species schedule in there because of this quite extensive and quite long-term fieldwork that has shown, particularly in small streams where they've decreased. But in bigger rivers, Shoalhaven, where I've done a lot of work, and also in the Hastings, the Manning, they're most common in the east-flowing rivers, but they do occur in the west-flowing rivers, particularly in the headwaters. Once you go out onto the slopes, they tend to get fewer and further between, apart from in the Murray and the Murrumbidgee, where they go further down. And once you get out onto the plains, they disappear. And we think they've never actually been there. It's not suitable habitat for them. But down the Murray and the Murrumbidgee, they did extend much further than they do now. They've come back from that. And we think that's probably due to hunting, which finished well. They were protected in South Australia in 1912, but they were protected from Victoria late 1800s, 1892, I think, and then New South Wales, the early 1900s, 1901 or 1902, and Queensland, again, early 1900s. So they've been protected for about 125 years, so they should well have come back from that. But what's happened to them, of course, because they were hunted to fairly low numbers, and also there was an inland fishing industry at that stage using small mesh nets and catching lots of fish, Murray cod, yellow belly, and exporting them to Sydney and, and Melbourne, particularly Melbourne, when the railway went through. And they took thousands of fish out of that, to the extent that that fishery has now been suspended because the numbers of Murray cod, yellow belly have dropped off so much that's now no longer a commercial fishery. And they must have drowned lots of them in that fishery as well as the hunting. So. Once that happened, and we've got good information from the fishermen and from the study I did back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, going out and talking to the fishermen and also going back to some of the literature and chasing up through newspaper reports and also going to libraries and archives and and, uh, reading lots of things that young people today don't understand, like microfish and (laughs) and (laughs) that sort of thing. We chased up a lot of the early work and then chased up some of the early fishermen who were still out there and been in it for a long time to get the truth of what was happening on the ground compared with what we were getting from databases and things. And one particular person, Joel Langtree, who did fish surveys along the Murray and the Murrumbidgee from Victoria in 1947, 45-47, just after, after the war, and he actually stopped netting for fish down near Hay and downstream further from Hay because he was drowning too many platypus. But they're very seldom seen in that part of the river now. So they seem to have shrunk up that, but they're still there. They still go down as far as Echuca and 
They used to go down as far as Swan Hill, but they don't seem to be there. And I suspect that was probably the fishery, because the fishery went on much longer. It went on in the 1950s, whereas the hunting only went to the end of early 1900s. So that I suspect that the fishery probably... And then they were using very small mesh nets, which were catching platypus. As the fishery progressed, they tried to keep the large breeding fish, so they were using bigger mesh nets that platypus could get through. And they used a thing called a drum net, which is a thing that's got valves in that just look like a big drum with mesh put over it and with a funnel that the fish or the platypus can get in but they can't get out and they started using bigger mesh on both the the mesh nets and the drum nets and we did some trials with platypus using the drum net size when the fishery was still going in the the early 1990s and platypus get out we caught platypus put them in (laughs) and see if they get out they could which is good but the other thing that and the thing that's an existential threat at the moment is that yabby trap, which is a much smaller version of the drum net, the most common ones are called an opera house trap, because when they're folded up, they look like the sails of the opera house. But they can be folded flat so that they're easy to transport. When you fold them up, they expose a couple of funnels, which the platypus can go into and can't get out. And yabbies can go into and can't get out and you put some bait in there you put it in leave it in overnight or where with while you're away doing the rest of your fishing and then you come back and got to feed the yabbies but unfortunately you may well have a dead platypus or more than one dead platypus there's been as many as five found in in a single yabby trap because once they go in they've got two minutes three maximum if they're struggling probably less and until they drown and they simply can't get out through the holes. They find their way in because the, the funnel is wider at the front where they go in than there at the, at the, where they try to get out. You're listening to Ian Wolfe and Thomas Grant on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. In Victoria... And the Australian Platypus Conservancy has figures that show the numbers that are are drowned in in these things. And not only platypus, but also Australian water rats, what the Aboriginal name Rakali is the name we try to put on them because rats get a bad reaction. Oh, a rat. (laughs) In fact, they're wonderful animals. They're like otters. They play and, and run around. They're fantastic to watch. But they get drowned as well in... So do turtles. And in New South Wales, we realised this was happening around 1999. I got reports from a ranger out at Bathurst that platypus were being drowned in these things. And so we started to get people to look at it. And this was before the Platypus Conservancy came into the piece, which was much later than that, and started recording the actual numbers. And we're talking hundreds of animals that have been drowned over the years in that way and probably more because that's only ones that are being reported to them. But in 1999 we had this and so we started to look at it and try and get the politicians interested in putting a ban on these things and it, it was just such a slow glacial process of getting them to take notice to start with and then going through the business of, of trying to get them to work out 
how they would go about it. And we had a workshop eventually and decided, talking to the turtle people, that if you put a nine centimetre ring in the, in the funnel, it wouldn't stop platypus going in. We'd already done the work that showed that it has to be five centimetres before platypus won't squeeze through it. And so the yabby fishermen were not prepared to cope with five centimetres because they wanted bigger yabbies. But if you put a nine centimetre ring in, it would stop breeding turtles getting in, but it still drowns small ones, which eventually become breeding ones. And it won't stop platypus going in, and it won't stop water rats going in. So once that was done, the decision was made, which we always knew was a compromise, is to protect the platypus by banning them in platypus distribution. Now, platypus distribution in New South Wales is from essentially the Newell Highway, which runs from Gundawindi and Queensland border down to Tokenwall on the Victorian border. And they go right out to there in the south, and also they go a bit, a bit west of, of that Newell Highway around the Echuca and Daniloquin area. And up north, they don't go quite as far west. But for law enforcement, you need a line. So if you've got a yabby trap in the water <laughs> east of that Newell Highway, you're lumbered. If you've got it west of Newell Highway, that's fine. And the fishermen who were displaced from the fin fish industry, the Yellow Belly and, and Murray Cod industry, when they wanted to close that down for, for conservation reasons, there was lots of families that had been doing that for generations. And they gave them licences to catch yabbies instead. And so there's a small yabby commercial fishery in New South Wales, and they're restricted to west of the New Highway. These regulations went through in 2003, and we knew at the time that we had to do something more, but getting more done, even getting that done, was a real fight. I mean, it took from 1999 till 2003 for this to happen. And unfortunately, it wasn't well publicised, and it started off, these traps were banned in all waters, but they changed that, and so people wanted to use them in their own farm dams, which are, if they're big enough and, and have vegetation around the banks, you will get platypus living in there. So they changed that to just to be public waters, that's rivers, creeks, dams, etc. They could be used in farm dams. And we objected to that, and so did the, the fisheries field officers because they said if you allow that people can have the yabby traps and east of the Newell Highway and oh we've caught with the yabby while well, we're using it in the farm dam that was all right so and also lots of people these regulations were not well advertised and so lots of people have yabby traps I did a lot of work around schools and I in an area I would talk to the schools and I'd hold up one of these things and say anybody got one of these the kids all put up their hands of course and you'd say to them you know you've, these are illegal to use and the, the mouths would drop open and then I had a stuffed platypus that I would push through the through the the, uh, the funnel end of the thing and you see their faces they would all go and so it it took a long time for people to and a lot of people I've had been on the properties where somebody had admitted they had drowned a platypus in their creek and you'd say, tell them that not only was it bad, <laughs> but it was illegal. And they didn't know it was illegal, they knew it was bad, and they, a lot of them said we'd never use the trap again. So it's always been problematic, and in other states, 
they were more open slab on than they were here. Victoria was pretty good. They banned them from trout waters where where you caught trout. In Tasmania, they banned and, and still are, were banned and still are, because they've got a couple of endangered crayfish there. And also in Western Australia, they're banned. But in South Australia, Victoria, and then New South Wales, Queensland, and Northern Territory, they're pretty open, and South Australia, they're pretty open slather. You can, in South Australia and, and Queensland, they had, you could use quite large numbers. You, I don't think it was even restricted in the number. So there was a publicity campaign, which the, some of the conservationists ran in Queensland, which I had some involvement with, and when Anna Bly was the Premier, and she took it on board and established a working party to have a look at what to do. And we had turtle people, we had measles, platypus people, they had people from the fishing lobby, etc. retailers that sold the things. And we looked at the best way to do this, and it looked as if it, uh, New South Wales one would be the best to keep them out of platypus waters. But again, saying this was not good for the other species, particularly for turtles, and the turtle bloke was a bit uneasy about it. But finally, or unfortunately, Campbell Newman ousted Anna Bly from government, and they stopped the initiative immediately. And so it took several years and then in 2015, the, uh, there were several drowned on, in, a, in a yabby trap on the Gold Coast and a group there started up to complain about this and unfortunately or fortunately for platypus, the, the minister, the fisheries minister was there and they asked him, he was at another occasion and one of these groups asked him and he said, we'll do something about it and it was on tape and it was, you know, so he couldn't back away. and. They did. They went back to what we had done and they got some other people that were on board and they ended up making a line from Gundawindi through to extending that line from New Highway through on the Gore Highway to Toowoomba. And then the Great Dividing Range, because in Queensland, in that south, southern part, they go west of the Great Divide. But in the north of Queensland, they tend not to. There's been a couple of sightings recently further north, but mainly there in the East Flame River. So they banned them completely uh, again from east of the Great Dividing Range in this case and they allowed them to be used in, in a variety of dams which we objected to because headwaters of dams where the water is shallower, deep water is platypus, need something around sort of 10 metres maximum but between 3 and 5 is, is the ideal. But in the headwaters of dams you get that sort of uh, and the rivers are coming down but they weren't prepared to go any further than that. But again, it's, it doesn't stop them killing these other things, water rats and the turtles. Could they redesign the traps? Along with the Australian Paddles Conservancy, I've done quite a lot of work on this, and redesigning the traps is the problem because, and with fisheries here, because they wanted to introduce eel traps here, and we tried to look at the sizes of entrances we needed, keeping them out, we, and with the Australian Paddles Conservancy, we looked at holes in the top to let the platypus out and looking at yabby behaviour to see whether the yabbies went out or not. And the problem was getting a hole big enough to let platypus out but not let yabbies out was a problem. And we trialled several different sorts of, of traps with, with funnels into them but with a hole in the top. And unfortunately, I mean I thought they were pretty smart animals but unfortunately the, 
they couldn't get out. Some of them couldn't get out of the of the trap that most of them could, but we wanted 100 percent able to get out, and so we couldn't say, well, most of them can get out, but we're still going to drown some. And the Platypus Conservancy also looked at the one we had with a, a nine centimetre ring in the top, like in the funnel, and most platypus could get out of that. In fact, all the Victorian ones we tried could get out, but there were some New South Welshmen that couldn't, unfortunately, which attracted some humour from the Victorians. And they did some work with yabbies, and the yabbies didn't go out. You could, you could catch it. And the fisheries followed this up, and you can have one of these traps with a hole in the top, as long as there's bait in there, the yabbies stay there. So eventually, after a lot of toing and froing, Victoria bit the bullet recently, and last year they announced that they would ban these traps completely in all waters, not just public waters, and allow them in private waters, all waters, and make it an offence to have one of these in your possession close to a stream, to a waterway. They announced that back in the middle of last year at the... In December, they instituted an exchange program, whereas if you brought in one of these Opera House deadly yabby traps, they would give you an open top trap, which is open bigger than the ones we were trialling, and we knew platypus could get out of them. And the fisheries themselves had done the work that if you have one of these traps, as long as you've got bait in there, the yabby's going to stay there. You've just got to pick them up before the bait's gone because once the bait's gone the yabbies say hey had enough of this and out they go and it's just laziness really I mean if you've got a closed trap you can throw it in the water and go back in the morning or you can throw it in the water before you go out for a few hours fishing and then come back and pick it up but if you've got an open top trap you need to visit it every so often to make sure the bait's still there and the yabbies and if the yabbies there take them out there and put it back in again and so it's just laziness that's caused the death of, it's, it's got to be hundreds, maybe thousands, because you know the, the ones that are reported, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They're the only ones that are being reported to people that are, are getting uh, registered in the Flavor Conservancy's uh, documented information. There's lots more out there that people are finding a yabby trap with platypus in it and burying them or somebody's done it. They're not going to ring, even if they're in an area where they're allowed to use them, in Victoria, for example. So in Victoria, they've announced an exchange program. It started in December and went to February last year. If you brought in one of these closed traps, they gave you an open-top trap in exchange for it. And they took 23,000 traps out of the environment by doing that. Now, we've been pressuring the, the government here to do it, and they're moving exceedingly slowly. It's taken forever. But now they're saying, that the last letter that came back to Field Naturalists, a club who wrote the last letter asking for some more details, is they are going to have an education program to use uh, open-top traps, which is great. They're going to, they say, give out open-top traps to yabby fishermen, but they don't say how many and whether it's going to be an exchange like it was in... So they might be giving them out, but they're not taking the old ones in or they haven't said that. We need to know that. And they finally, three days ago, they said... This program is going to start in September, which is this month, and it's going to phase out these traps by 2000, end of the summer 2020. But they haven't said when they're going to be actually banned, whether they're going to be banned in public and private waters, which is really important for law enforcement, and they haven't said whether they're going to have an exchange program. They're not going to take the other traps out, give the new ones out. 
in what they've said so far, they're just going to give away these traps. They're not going to take the other ones out of the system. So that's really important. What we've got to do is raise the issue, and, and as they did in Victoria, with looking at trying to get the retailers to stop selling them, which they did. That was a massive Victorian group, had a massive social media campaign that just made the retailers wilt. You know, if they said, no, no, we'll take them off the shelves, but we'll still sell them online, then they just started getting this avalanche of... And so finally, all the, the big retailers stopped selling them. But recently, there's a couple of retailers near the border who are advertising them online, selling them into New South Wales because this can still legally be used here. So it is moving, and if this happens here, and it, we hope it does, like Victoria, Queensland's the next one to go, hopefully. <laughs> well, we can only hope for the best. Well, Thomas Grant, thank you very much. Not a problem. Good to talk to you. That was Tom Grant, visiting fellow at the University of New South Wales, talking about the plight of platypuses. Listen next week for Claudia Vickers about synthetic biology. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, 2XXFM in Canberra, and my local station, 2RDJ in Burwood, New South Wales. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography, 
collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.